positive attitudes, diversity and inclusion, success stories, education and advocacy, employability. This and much more on Thrive. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, an open space to discuss topics related to accessibility and inclusion for youth with diverse abilities. Through this platform, our aim is to celebrate diversity, share our perspectives, and promote the abilities of people with diverse abilities. Thrive is a program of the BC Centre for Ability and is generously sponsored by Coast Capital Savings Youth Investment Grant, RBC Foundation, and the BC Centre for Ability Foundation. I'm your host and producer, Anu Pala. I'd like to begin with a land acknowledgement. I'm coming to you today from the traditional and unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh lands, and I recognize that I have the privilege to live, work, and play on these beautiful lands. I would also like to state that we at the BC Centre for Ability stand in solidarity with the Indigenous peoples across Canada as we work towards truth and reconciliation. October marks National Employment Accessibility Awareness Month. That's a mouthful. And in recognition of that, we wanted to tackle the topic of the hybrid work model, as many of us are transitioning into this new style of work. But is it really accessible? Our guest today is going to touch on this topic in more detail. Zafira Nanji Scott is an experienced human resources professional, having led global HR advisory and talent acquisition, learning and development, and people leadership at multiple crowns and within the private sector. In her current role at BC Financial Services Authority, Zafira is recognized as a resourceful coach and advocate for equity, diversity, and inclusion, with a focus on business readiness, mindful, and impactful leadership. Zafira lives in a world of intentional inclusion, intersecting multiple diversities through her personal and professional worlds. Outside of her day job, Zafira is the founder of Zari HR Consulting, volunteers as an advisor to the Immigrant Employment Council of British Columbia at the Community of Practice with the President's Group, co-hosts the Human Resources podcast, The Vault, and firmly in the sandwiched generation. Most recently, Zafira was nominated for a Diversity Leadership Untapped Award by the Open Door Group. My God, when does this woman sleep? <laughs> I've known Zafira for the past couple of years, and what I know about her is she is a true champion for accessibility and inclusion, and I'm so proud to have her as a colleague, a mentor, and a friend. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Zafira Nanji Scott. Hi, Zafira. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Anu. Really excited to be here. So excited to have you on as well. So let's get right into it. Let's, let's go back to January 2020, when we were just beginning to learn about COVID-19. We were going to our traditional workplaces, doing our traditional hours, like 8.30 to 4.30, 9 to 5. And then all of a sudden, March 15 hit. And we learned that we are in the midst of a pandemic. 
And then everybody began to scramble to go into remote work. What was that experience like for you? You know, it's, it's an interesting question because in January of 2020, I had just come back to work from a parental leave. And so I had been talking to my bosses about potentially working a little bit remotely myself um, so that I wouldn't be commuting with a little one and, uh, and, and elder care issues as much. So come January, when we started hearing about the pandemic and, uh, and my employer at the time had offices internationally in Asia, specifically in China, we were hearing a lot of things ahead of time from North America because of what was happening in Asia. It was really alarming as people were panicking internationally and we weren't sure if we'd, our international offices would be sustainable from a work from home process. It was really interesting for us as we were hearing about our international staff needing to work remotely or being unable to come into the office, preparing for our local staff to perhaps have the same situation. And, you know, you asked, you know, what that was like. I was at the time in these deep conversations about myself and trying to work remotely like one day every two weeks. And it was such a big deal at the time to even have that much flexibility. Who would have thought that we would be in this place where the majority of us are all of a sudden now working remotely? I mean, I've been a strong advocate for remote work for as long as I can remember. And at that time, I'm saying, I'm thinking 20 years ago, maybe more, uh, people thought I was crazy. And I'm like, no, I'm sure it can be done. It has to be something that's doable. And now I'm like laughing at all those people <laughs> because here we all are working <laughs> remotely. Um, Zafira, now that the pandemic is kind of slowly, slowly stabilizing, uh, employers are looking at inviting employees or in some cases, maybe begging employees to come back to work. And now they're looking at creating this hybrid work model. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's a, it's a really interesting question. The hybrid work model works for so many types of employees and employers, but it doesn't work in all environments, right? So in the manufacturing environment, people still need to physically go in, and many of them have gone in through the whole pandemic. Conversely, if you think about office workers, much, if not all office work for many organizations can be done from home. We have our international offices for many companies that you are working remotely, you're, you're running satellites around the world. So it's happening whether it's local work or not. Thinking about that though, it is, it is a transition and every employee is not suited to work remotely. Some people learn better, function better physically being around people and some people don't. So true. The one area I think that the hybrid work model or the return to office work model is a little bit scary is we've all heard about this quiet resignation where people are trying to clock in and clock out. We're talking about that a fair bit. What we're not talking about anymore is something we talked about early on in the pandemic, which is you walk by your laptop or your work phone or your workstation a hundred times a day when you're at home and you keep checking your emails and the pressure to say, well, you're at home. Can't you just also get this done? Like, why can't you cook more or why can't you clean more for those people that are working from home versus the intense pressures of the pace of work because you've lost that commute time or you've gained that commute time because you're not commuting. And so 
you have extra time to, in theory, be productive. So during work hours, you're maybe expected to do more or you're working without those breaks. And when we go back into the workplace, what does that look like? Are we going to give up that water cooler natural moment to check in with our colleagues? Or are we going to go to our desks and work nonstop without a break? Or are we going to bring back that old way of working? And it it begs the question because the new normal, no matter what we do, we're never going to go back to the old way we did things. We have evolved. We have evolved. I mean, that is so true. And I think what the challenge is, is finding that work-life balance. Mm-hmm. We hear about it so much, but I feel like it's even more challenging now. You talked about working throughout without even a break. I find that my days are so much more longer. They start Mm -hmm. early in the morning and they end really late. Like I might take pauses in the middle of my day, but then that means that that's a conscious choice that I've made, which means that, I mean, at the end of the day, like I have to get some work done, meaning that I will work late into the night or wake Mm -hmm. up in the middle of the night. Oh, well, I'm up. I might as well just do some work. And that has been my new normal over the last couple of years. I'm trying to work through that myself right now as well, trying to strike that balance. Yeah. So looking at recruitment from an accessibility and inclusion lens, what has your experience been? I think through the pandemic, what we've seen is that people who were perhaps reluctant to apply for roles have put their hand up because they can work from home. And there's been an increased mobility of people in the workplace overall. So what that translates to for me is that people who have had accessibility needs or inclusion needs have perhaps opened themselves up to opportunities that they may not have considered before because they can work from home. We recently had an event at work where everybody was there in person and it shocked me to see people that I actually didn't know were as tall as they are or as short as they are as a petite person myself, right? So suddenly I'm looking up to somebody that has always been my size on a screen. And so I think it's really removed some of those barriers of perception and physical presence and even for mobility, right? If people are mobility impaired, you don't know that they have any kind of accessibility aids because you really only see them in like this three by three box on your screen. So overall, I think it's opened up that candidate pool for a lot of employers. And we've seen some more mobility in that in that space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I know for myself, the past couple of years have been quite incredible in terms of my career. Uh, because as you know, I've transitioned into consulting work. And thanks to technology, I have been able to create so many new opportunities for myself. And I know many, many other people have as well. And I think a lot of careers have been born out of the pandemic as well. So I think it's a blessing and a curse, I think, in some ways, especially in the diversity and inclusion space. You know, remote working has really advanced. But I I think you're right, though. I think there has been a move towards increased innovation the use of technology, the technology has been there in its bare forms, but now we're using it much more comfortably and it's in a much more integrated way. But with that comes the demands for people to be more technologically savvy and to function in that that workplace, you need then not only the ability to use the tools, but the, the 
skills to use those tools. And everybody doesn't have those. So it's a new barrier. You may have grown up in a world where that, well, as much as technology is very mainstream, maybe you didn't have that access or maybe you were in a traditional workplace and you weren't on video calls or working from a teeny tiny laptop and suddenly you are. So it really depends on, on who you were going into the pandemic and what your challenges or advantages were and then who you are now or who the others are, right, coming out of the pandemic and what the, their advantages and their needs are. I think about accessible workstations as well. Uh, whereas if you were working in a company, those accommodations would often be provided for you. But now working remotely, that could be another barrier as well. Yeah, I mean, it could be. On the other hand, if you're somebody that needs to sit down more frequently or stand up more frequently and you're working from home, your colleagues don't necessarily know that you're working from your kitchen counter standing up versus your dining room table sitting down. So there's also that advantage that you don't even have to necessarily ask for those adaptations. Or if you're buying an office chair, you don't need to tell your employer you need an a specific type of office chair, you're just buying the chair because you need the chair. So there's almost more privacy without disclosing your need for adaptation. Yeah, I definitely can attest to that. A few years back when I was working uh, in an office setting, I found it very challenging to sit at a desk all day. And HR would encourage us to get up and move around, walk around. And some of us would and it almost felt like you were being judged that, oh, do you not have work to do? Whereas now working from home has allowed me that ability and the flexibility to get up when I need to or shift tasks if I need to do a load of laundry or something, you know, or just like schedule out my day so I have those breaks in between so that I'm not straining myself physically so much. So I am so grateful, you know, for that. I'm really glad that's how you have embraced it. For me, I don't move around nearly as much as I used to. I physically will sometimes sit at my workspace for five hours without moving an inch and then wonder why I'm so exhausted that I can't move. Well, don't um, get me wrong. I mean, I do that too yeah. uh, at times. And I think that's because you and I are both very passionate about it and mm-hmm. we like, you know, about our work. And so when we get into it, we get into it. Um, and next thing you know, it's like, why is my neck so stiff? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, the one thing I've definitely lost personally, though, is that self-care, just that little bit of a walk from the SkyTrain to the office and the ability to go out and get fresh air to get a coffee. Now it's it's very often you can spend the entire day indoors without moving nearly as much, unless you're very mindful about being active and bringing in those, those breaks. So I think there's a, a level of self-discipline and self-preservation in there that uh, that comes with that responsibility to yourself when you're working in that hybrid, that hybrid space. That is so true. And I was going to touch on self-care at some point as well. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Do you feel that the hybrid model is truly accessible for people with diverse abilities? Or do you think that it's hurting uh, people with diverse abilities? I think the ability to work remotely has opened up the workplace and individuals with diverse abilities are able to access higher paying jobs much more easily 
and people that are afraid of stigma and don't necessarily want to disclose something like a chronic pain or eye strain that they require frequent breaks, they're able to find those roles they love and contribute to their employer without feeling that they're going to be judged. So in some ways, it's really opened it up. On the other hand, though, I think as we are looking at going back into the workplace and more and more employers are mandating it, that you must be here X number of days, that for those individuals, now they're suddenly talking about something that maybe they hadn't shared or you hadn't noticed about them. And, and that creates a different kind of pressure. So while it's been really good for opening up accessibility and, and clearing that space, the shift we're seeing now is almost in the opposite direction. And I think disclosure is one of those topics that is so sensitive for so many people, especially those who live with an invisible Mm -hmm. disability or diversity. And so I think you're right. Uh, working from home, one doesn't really need to disclose. And I think yeah. having said that, I mean, even in the traditional work setting as well, some people just choose not to disclose. Absolutely. I mean, with the stats saying that, you know, more than one in five Canadians has a disability of some sort, that tells us that everybody knows somebody who's got something going on. And we're not able to speak freely or speak openly about it. And that's, that's challenging. I mean, if someone is working from home and they have a headache and they turn off the lights or they lay down or they turn off their camera, nobody knows. But if you're in the office and you have that headache and you want to lie down or turn off your office yes. lights, depending on if you even have an office or you're in an open yes. space, there is a whole another layer of fear and judgment and stigma. And I don't know why we don't talk about it. It's, it's always baffled me. You know this. I'm a pretty transparent person and wear my heart on my sleeve, sometimes to my detriment. But I, I feel like that's the model that I want to live by because that intentional inclusion only comes when you're able to share your authentic self. And it's hard. Like, it's hard not to be worried and scared. But it's important to me personally that I work actively to break down those barriers. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I feel that employers could really benefit from learning a little bit more about this. So could you elaborate further? Yeah, so for sure. I feel like, you know, being an accessible employer is not an expensive feat. It's about intentionally being inclusive, asking the questions, being approachable and leading by example, you know, Recently, I moderated this, um, this forum, and I was really impressed with the three CEOs that were on the panel that I was moderating, because each of them shared their personal connection with accessibility. You know, one of them had had mental health challenges, one of them had a child that had challenges, right? And, and just the fact that they were able to share their personal story makes them as an employer so much more relatable, and it doesn't mean that you have to tell everybody everything, right? I mean, I said I wear my heart on my sleeve, but I don't tell every single person I meet every single thing about me. There's still appropriate sharing. But it also means that if I need to take a minute and take a deep breath, my colleagues know, you know, she's always really passionate and she's, you know, working super hard. So if she comes across this way or that way, sometimes she just needs to take a second, right? And it's easy to be inclusive if you're sharing authentically. So 
there's that piece of it. And then there's the actual cost of accessibility. Like it doesn't cost that much to get an ergonomic keyboard versus a regular keyboard. It doesn't cost that much to bring in an inclusive mindset because that's really about teaching ourselves how to be kinder and thoughtful and really that golden rule that we learn when we're little, right? Do unto others as you would want them to do unto yourself. Treat people that way and they will be that much more loyal as employees and that much more productive as team members for you. Very well said. So as we're wrapping up, Safira, do you have any final thoughts on the topic of accessible hybrid workplaces? We all come to work for a reason, right? And there's there's an employment contract and then there's a psychological contract, which is really that I come to work, I expect to be treated a certain way, I'm expected to produce some stuff. In exchange, I get money or benefits or whatever it is that I get satisfaction, but we have to be able to successfully fulfill that. So as we're going to, into this hybrid, not working from home model, I think it's important that we ask the question of like, does this person need to come in the office? How does it impact their work and their productivity in their life? And a little bit of that humanity of what's going on in their situation. While we don't need to go to this, you must work from home, but people have changed how they live their lives and our value systems have changed through the pandemic. So understanding you know, what it is that people need from their employer and their life. And then we're trying to embrace that as we go back into this new normal. It's And it's been a new normal every few months, I feel like, for the last few years. But as we, as we figure out what the next phase of the working relationship is, I think that open dialogue and being mindful and reflective of things have changed. That is a perfect way to end off this episode, Safira. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. We'll catch you hopefully in another episode. Sounds good. We'll talk soon, Anu. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. If you did, please do share it far and wide with your networks. And while you're doing that, remember to like, download, subscribe, and leave a review. We really do appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at thrive.bc. If you want to be a guest on the Thrive Podcast, feel free to drop us a line at thrive at bc-cfa.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Thrive Podcast, generously supported by RBC Foundation, Coast Capital Youth Investment Grant, and the BC Center for Ability Foundation. To learn more about Thrive or the BC Center for Ability, visit us at www.bc-cfa.org. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.